Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mountain Meister. This is your host, Ben, speaking. I'm excited to tell you that this will be our last week of repeat episodes. Next week, we will be releasing brand new episodes of Mountain Meister with some pretty incredible guests, so stay tuned for that. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast on whatever platform works for you, you should probably do that. You know, I got this question the other day, and a Meister fan was having a really difficult time deciding whether or not she should subscribe to our podcast. And, you know, I said to her, I think the best way for you to evaluate this decision is by looking at the upside and the downside risk. You know, the upside is that it's completely free. And every time we release a new episode, your phone's going to automatically download it for you. And the downside is, well, there is no downside. If you like listening to Mountain Meister, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Here's another one of our favorite episodes. This is number 39 with Rebecca Rush, also known as the Queen of Pain. Enjoy. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, Meister fans. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Russell. Hello, Russell. Hello, Meister fans. This is Ben. Today on the show, we have Rebecca Rush. Rebecca's national and world titles in whitewater rafting, adventure racing, orienteering, and cross-country skiing certainly impress, but they only set the stage. It's the two-wheeled victories that really lengthen her resume. National wins across multiple off-road formats top the list, as well as record-setting victories at storied ultra-endurance races like the Leadville 100, Dirty Kanza 200, and the 24-hour Mountain Bike World Championships. Rebecca has also created her own event, Rebecca's Private Idaho, in her hometown of Ketchum, where she is a firefighter and EMT with the Ketchum Fire Department. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, guys. So, Rebecca, your Twitter handle is the Queen of Pain. Yes. <laughs> How did you get that nickname? <laughs> you know, like most nicknames, you don't choose them. It was given to me, uh, and it was during my adventure racing days doing Eco Challenge and super long events like that. And, and it was a, a magazine that put me on the cover, and, and they gave me the name. So, you know, it kind of came from my peers um, as being able to, either, you know, being able to suffer for a really long time and hang in there in uh, multi-day events like that. It sounds like it. And the Dirty Kanza 200 sounds absolutely miserable. <laughs> <laughs> but and we'll get into the races in a little bit. But first, let's just understand what exactly this endurance mountain bike racing is. So you're doing hundreds of mile races. What's the longest race you've ever done? Um, there's a few different formats. I mean, I've done 24 hour solos, uh, which basically like it sounds, you ride for 24 hours and cover as much distance as you can. The person who's done the most miles wins. So those are end up being, you know, a couple hundred miles sort of thing, depending on the course. Um, I also do a lot of, uh, mountain bike stage racing. So typical to the Tour de France where you do multiple days over and over again, but you stop at night and rest. So that's a little different than the 24 hour racing. So I do, you know, seven day stage races like that. Um, and then also hundred milers like the Leadville 100 doing a 200 miler this weekend in Kansas. So yeah, just kind of all across the board endurance events. 
Why is it that you chose mountain biking as the one to really focus on? Uh, like I said in the bio, you did whitewater rafting, adventure racing, cross-country skiing. What is it about mountain biking that you really love? Well, I really hated it. I will tell you that. Um, it was my worst sport, my least favorite sport. It was kind of just this bitter pill that was part of the adventure racing format, and I sucked at it. <laughs> it was really bad. But uh, what happened is is the sport of adventure racing and eco-challenge you know, went off TV, and sponsorships started drying up, and uh, our title sponsor at that time for our team was Montreal, and they got bought out by Columbia, and Columbia just decided – okay, we don't want any more teams. Um, so all that dried up really unexpectedly at the end of one year. And I had a, I had a year left with Red Bull, um, a small sponsorship, you know, not enough for a whole team, but enough for me to do a little bit. And they just said, well, you have a year, we're not going to take, you know, the money back. So find something to do for a year. Huh. So I kind of searched, uh, knowing that my experience, you know, my forte was super long stuff. And so really 24-hour mountain biking was the longest thing I could actually find. So I gave it a shot and I, you know, I ran my bike a lot in those first races and really stunk at it, but I knew I could go to me, you know, going all night, it was no big deal. It's like, ah, well, instead of seven days, I'm just going to go one day. So that'll be pretty easy. So that's kind of how it started is more because I couldn't find anything longer. It ended up really relaunching a whole second part of my career. And that was eight years ago and a few world championships ago. And so it was very unexpected. (laughs) And now I like cycling. <laughs> I feel like if you're an athlete of Red Bull, you have to just do whatever makes you most fired up. I like to think of myself as a Red Bull athlete. I, I recently competed <laughs> oh, in a, uh, a yeah. flute tag competition. Have you ever heard of those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. How'd so that's, it well, it was pretty bad. Just yeah. don't look it at the videos so online. Cool, I watched the video. Well, Russell showed me the video. It's fantastic. They made, it, they made the plane. I mean, that within itself, I think, is impressive. Yeah, it was... About 100 hours of work for 10 seconds of straight into the water. It was fun. (laughs) Is there more pressure on you being a Red Bull athlete to just be very extreme, or is that something you're comfortable with? You know what is really cool about them as a partner and different from any other sponsor that I work with? They actually really push their athletes to come up with cool ideas. And so they'll say, well, what do you want to do? Do something cool. Pitch us some ideas. And so it's pretty regular that they'll reach out to us and say, well, do you have any cool ideas? I mean, they're happy with me going and winning worlds and doing, you know, races and getting on podiums, but it was them that pushed me to come up with a Cocapelli record-breaking ride and some other stuff like that. I mean, you saw how they, you know, Felix mm-hmm. jumped, yeah. uh, <laughs> everyone's seen Felix Baumgartner's jump, you know, but that was his idea as well. And so they pushed us actually to be more than we might be otherwise. It'd be really easy to just go along and pick races but they want more. And that's what happened mm-hmm. when that year that, you know, I lost all of my other sponsorship. They're like, well, find something to do, you know. <laughs> and uh, if they hadn't pushed me in that direction, I'd, I'd probably be working in an office right now and would have transitioned into something else. Mm. Well, that's really cool to hear that you can use some creativity to pursue what you love. But you didn't like mountain biking, which really caught me off guard. What does that say about you and what do you have to say to other people to jump into something that you weren't really expecting that you'd love? Yeah, I mean, I launched basically launched a mountain biking career at 38, you know, so that's pretty late. I mean, the lesson is basically that, you know, it's never too late to 
kind of be a beginner and try something new and to not sort of check things off your list because they seem hard at first or seem scary at first or even if you don't like them. I mean, the biggest barrier for me with mountain biking, the reason I didn't like it is because I sucked and I didn't understand the bike. Like the gear was so complicated to me and I was just like taking a pair of running shoes is just that much easier than dealing with all the gears and tires and derailleur and stuff I didn't understand. So it took two things, skill and education. And all of a sudden that opened up a lot of doors for a a really exciting way to travel and see the world. And and you can just go more places on a bike. Yeah. So the suck is past tense because you're (laughs) awesome now. You're basically, I think you're the best in the world. So what makes you better than the others? What steps did you take to go from sucking to awesome? Well, I would say I still actually kind of suck technically, um, you know, <laughs> compared to a lot of my competitors who been riding a mountain bike a lot longer. So technically, I'm always still challenged by that. And I'm trying to ride with people better than me, work on rock gardens, stuff like that. But the part where I don't suck is, I think, the mental and the physical of just going for a really, really long time. That's a pretty interesting way to think about it, even though to kind of back up to your Coco Pelli, is that how you pronounce it? Coco mm-hmm. Pelli, uh, 142 miles. Is that how long it was? And you broke the record by an hour? Is an hour that? and yeah. a half, I thought I saw. Do you like the scenic part of that? Or is it just, is it all in your head and it doesn't really matter for you? No, it matters where I'm riding. And that's definitely a selection, you know, of, of races that I want to go do in a cool part of the world. And the Cocopelli Trail goes from Moab, Utah to uh, Fruta, Colorado. And it's gorgeous. I mean, you go from high alpine into the red rocks and, you know, down into the desert. And so I do want to see beautiful places. I don't want to just drone away, you know, like a hamster on a wheel, because it, it is inspiring for me to to see places. And that's part of the reason I don't do 24-hour solo events anymore, because those are a lap format. Mm-hmm. And so there'll be like a 15-mile loop that you just do as many times as you can in 24 mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. And that started to get a little boring for me. So really, a lot of these other things like the Cocopelli Trail, or I want to go places and see things and see what's around the next corner. So it doesn't sound like NASCARs for you then. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> it's hard for me to really understand what it's like to be a an endurance athlete. I do some backcountry skiing. I, I go up mountains. It's not very endurance related. It's more just really fast, action-packed things that happen, and then I'm done. But one thing that is interesting is you're sponsored by all these extra energy companies. So you have Goo, uh, which is kind of this gel that you eat, and it's packed with energy. And then you have Red Bull. Do you use those on a, a consistent base? And is it kind of necessary for you to get through an endurance race with them? (laughs) Yes, I use them for sure. And yes, they're necessary. Um, I mean, all the goo products, basically that's nutrition. It's nutrition on the bike and it's putting fuel in the car. So you, you absolutely, you know, have to put good things into your body for hydration and calories to kind of keep going. You can't stuff a banana in your pocket and be okay for 10 hours. And it's pretty regimented. I plan my food out, you know, and what I'm going to take hour per hour, how many calories per hour, how much hydration per hour, basically because I want my body to keep working. And so you've got to treat it really well. And the Red Bull is, you know, that's kind of the last resort when nothing else works. Um, it absolutely does work. What I have found most fascinating about you know doing we do a little bit of research on our guests and so mentally composed and you have this drive this competitive drive it's interesting to look at that from a high level but i'd imagine during the race when you're on your 100th mile it's absolutely miserable and you say that you embrace that pain what makes you keep going 
You know, I, w- I will say, you know, maybe on the surface, I look like I've got it all figured out. But just like any anyone running a 10K or, or doing any sort of long event for them, there's moments in every race where I'm just like, oh, what am I doing? Like, this hurts. This sucks. I, sh- I should like get a regular job. There's definitely the moments of doubt that creep into everybody's head, including mine. But really, it's that reward at the end. I mean, the, I'm addicted to a finish line. And you know, when you finish something that seemed impossible or you put your heart and soul out there and blood and sweat and tears on the trail, but then you cross a finish line and put your arms up and kind of look back at what you've done. And that's a really addictive feeling. And so that's kind of what drives me in those sort of dark moments is I love the sense of completion and finishing something and and looking back and, and being proud of myself. Yeah, and I also read in uh, one of your other interviews that it's not just the races that you're excited about. You're also excited about the growth of the sport, especially for women. Why is that so interesting for you personally? Obviously, you are a woman, but why do you think it's necessary for the sport to grow for women? You know, there's there's a couple reasons. One, I mean, I got into sports in high school with my high school cross-country running team, and that changed the trajectory of my life. You know, I developed friendships and a work ethic and healthy sort of way of life. And it it changed everything. And I, I never thought that would lead to a career as a professional athlete. But the value of having a team sport for kids, you know, at high school or even younger age at a time when you're really kind of searching for where do I belong? What direction am I going in my life? You know, it's a bit cliche, but it's such a a great thing for any kid to do. And at the time, you know, there wasn't high school mountain biking for me, but it was running. And so I feel really strongly that providing opportunity for more people to get into sports, whatever it is, kind of makes the world a better place. And it, you know, cultivates better people. And the other thing with mountain biking, like I told you, I was really intimidated to get involved because I I didn't understand it. I didn't have anyone that I rode with, you know, and and I've seen that at races and events where, you know, there's women kind of standing there and, and it can be a big boys club. And so I decided, okay, let's fling the doors open. Let's invite these women in, you know, whatever your experience is, let's break down some of the barriers of fear and not knowing the gear and not having any friends to ride with. And so I do a lot of events called the SRAM Gold Rush Tour where I basically, yeah, just open my arms, um, bring other pro athletes in, bring female media in, and just provide opportunity for other people to dip their toe in the water and, and maybe find they really like the sport. Yeah, you mentioned fear there. And I saw on your website, you talk a lot about facing fears. And I'm going to quote you. You said that all of the seemingly impossible achievements came to fruition because I took some risk and the outcome was unknown. You must take a risk in order to find reward. And I really like that. I have a quote that tells a similar story. Actually, it's not my quote. It's somebody else's, but I like it. <laughs> and it, so it goes, true inspiration and growth only comes from adversity and challenge. Do you like that one? That one's it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a good exactly. one. Who, who said that? I think it was Ben Saunders. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. So if we take this to the next level, there's a divide between taking a risk and then Beyond that, I guess, I don't want to say stupidity. Stupidity is a little harsh, but something maybe that's too risky. Mm -hmm. Have you ever crossed that line? I think I've been really close to it for sure. I'm definitely, you know, I'm more of a planner. Like I'm a risk taker planner kind of person. And so, you know, for example, I I left California and, and decided to move into my car and live out of my car with unknown, you know, not knowing where I was going because I wanted to be able to, uh, 
take part in adventure racing. And the only way I could afford to do it was if I didn't have to pay rent anywhere. So that was a risk. But I also really calculated, okay, I have this much money. I'm going to have a post office box here. I'm going to do it this way and I'll give it this long. And so, yeah, that was a huge risk to move into my car. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also kind of had a backup plan. And, you know, the same thing. I swam the Grand Canyon, which is one of the the biggest risks I've ever done Mm -hmm. on a boogie board with a bunch of friends. And I had very little whitewater experience. And that was in the winter. And they invited me unsupported and, um, you know, 18 day trip. But I also had a backup plan of that I could hike out at Phantom Ranch if it just wasn't going well. And I told them, I'm going to walk out if this isn't going well. And so I think there's a really a balance of, yes, doing something that's risky and scary, but also not being stupid and not being an idiot and, you know, being prepared as far as what gear you take, giving somebody your cell phone number or telling them where you're going to be. Um, and those are just, you know, no, I'm not in it to die and risk my life. I'm in it to challenge myself. And so I think there's, there's a fine line and you definitely see people who are like, oh, I'm going to go climb Everest and they have no experience and they haven't really prepared themselves. So that's a difference. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm that sort of a person. And, and I'd say anybody who's, who's tackling an adventure is get online, do some planning, you know, find out the right gear, read about what other people have done in the past. And, and that'll just set you up for success. It doesn't make it any less exciting or scary. It just sets you up for success. That was an awesome answer. I, I really like that. I, I actually came from the finance world and calculated risk is the theme here. So there you go. Very, exactly. Very applicable. Yeah. And you mentioned being prepared and you've set your life up very well now. Uh, full-time athlete, you're running these events. Being a full-time athlete, uh, you can sometimes run into injuries. Do you have any sort of backup plan if you were to get injured and never be <laughs> able to ride again? Oh, uh, you know, that just saying that makes my hands sweat. That's we'll knock you know, on wood right now for you. That's <laughs> a athlete's biggest fear is not being able to move and use your body. Um, and I've been really lucky with injuries, but I would say, yeah, the backup plan or all these other events, all these other things that I've been laying the groundwork for that, you know, are, are basically a more sustainable career than, than chasing a podium all the time. But if I did get hurt and, and couldn't ride a bike at all, that, that would be that would be another transition period in my life for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you'd be able to handle it, but we don't have to worry about that. And luckily, you're you're still getting podiums, you're still riding a lot. So, since we have you here, would you mind giving our listeners a, a gear recommendation? Yeah, you know, um, really, my mode of travel is has become the bicycle in the last eight or nine years or so. And what I love about is, like I said earlier, is how much distance you can cover and how much you can see on a bike. And um, Specialized is the brand that I ride for. I've been with them 10 years, even since my adventure racing days. There's a lot of bikes in my garage. There's two niner hardtail. There's um, a full suspension bike for rockier stuff. There's a fat bike snow that I ride in the snow, cyclocross bike, road bike. And so, um, you know, I can't recommend them all, even though I would. I never thought I would have 10 bikes in my garage, but uh, it's like shoes. Like you can, <laughs> there's one for every occasion, basically. Um but I will say if people are, you know, thinking about getting a mountain bike, kind of in the last few years, the trend has gone to a bigger wheel size to 29 inch wheels versus mm. 26 is what they originally were. And, and 29 inches, basically the size of a, a road bike wheel. So and what happens with that, if anyone hasn't ridden a 29er, it basically smooths out the bumps. So it's faster. And it's since it's a bigger wheel circumference, you know, a small rock or log all of a sudden is sort of brought down in size mm. by the bigger wheel. And so it's a really cool phenomenon that's actually 
really helped my riding because like I said, I'm technically not a super good rider. And the 29 inch Specialized has definitely opened some doors for me. And and I actually ride a lot better downhill now. Let's continue this wheel discussion because I think this is interesting and Russell probably does too. When you bump up to a bigger wheel like that, doesn't it make it more difficult to climb hills? Initially, when the geometry of those bikes wasn't very good, it did. But now what they've been able to do is bring the wheelbase in a lot tighter. So the wheels are kind of tucked in under the frame. Um, and so you don't feel like you're on a really long, like chopper wow. sort of bicycle. Um, and they've also gotten quite a bit lighter. So my 29-inch Specialized Fate, for example, my race bike weighs 19 pounds. And so it climbs just fine. <laughs> Ben's favorite number is 19, so every time that yeah. comes up, it just kills me. He it comes, oh, okay. <laughs> it comes up a lot, let me tell um, you. <laughs> so do they have 29-inch tires at places like Walmart or just like your general store that the average consumer would go to? Yeah, the whole industry is really changing and going okay. that direction, mm-hmm. and 26-inch wheels really are you know, becoming just kids' bikes and Damn. things like that. <laughs> so sorry if you have one. <laughs> I have two. It's okay. I guess I need to upgrade. But, and you probably can't retrofit your 26-inch bikes, could question. you? Or? No, because the whole frame geometry is different. Mm-hmm. So you can't just slap a different wheel on there. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great recommendation. We'll throw that on our website. Just one other question I had since you are the mountain bike expert is, say I'm new to riding, maybe I'm new to an area. What would be the best place for me to find trails or find people to ride with? Or is there a good resource that you have? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's nothing like local knowledge. And so the first thing when you go to an area, or even if you're researching, is to call the local bike shop. The local bike shop is always the best place to start. But there's also kind of if you're searching around and on your computer at home, deciding where to go, um, International Mountain Bike Association, it's called IMBA. Uh, They basically are the advocacy group that rally for trail maintenance, keeping trails open, things like that. They're starting to build um, basically trail maps, online trail maps to a lot of the different areas that are IMBA mountain bike areas, including Sun Valley, where I live. Very cool. So as we wrap this up, Rebecca, we just want to ask you one more question. And for our listeners who are maybe in the middle of their own metaphorical bike race and really need to... (laughs) push toward the finish line. What can you say to them to get them to keep going? Uh, You know, something that really stays in my brain all the time is that the pain is temporary, but quitting lasts forever. Hmm. Um, That's good. And I quit one race in high school, a cross-country running race, and just walked off because I wasn't having a good day. It's still, I have the scars from that because I was so embarrassed to tell my coach and my mom and my teammates that I quit. That to me, I'd rather finish last than not finish. Hmm. And so uh, that's that's a lot of times how I push through the pain is, you know, the shortest way to the finish line is just to get to the finish line. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good way to end it. So thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Russell and I really enjoyed having you. Thanks, guys. Hello, hello, Meister fans. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Rebecca Rush. Let me tell you something. I will not be competing in the Dirty Kansas 200 for obvious reasons, but I will be participating in the 2014 New York City Marathon on November 2nd. So I need all sorts of support, mostly in the form of financial sponsorship. You can find the link on our website, mtnmeister.com, also on our Facebook page and numerous other places. If you support my cause and you're one of the top three donors, Jansport multi-day backpack coming your way. Also, I will randomly select one other donor who will also receive an awesome Jansport multi-day backpack. So 
donate to a great cause, win a backpack. Seems like a no-brainer. Until next time, I am Ben Shank. Thank you for listening. Thank you.